0: The Wildlife Observer Network. Taking out one deer is probably better for the forest than you know however many hours of oh yeah, yeah. of yeah. pulling invasives you can do in a year, you know. Are
1: listening to Urban Wildlife. Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Urban Wildlife Podcast. This is Billy Brown and Tony Crosdale. We are. Ooh, before we get started, we should remind you that if you like the podcast, please like us on your listening app of choice and recommend us to your friends. Um, and please, of course, tune in to all the wonderful Wildlife Observer Network podcasts. Anything new coming up in that arena to tell people about?
0: No not, not, not um I'm sure there' be more of Taiki's you know labor stuff coming out you know his struggles organizing an Autobahn, I'm sure that's gonna there'll be more developments with that you know the president resigned so we got to kind of do it you know a uh, debriefing on that you know wow yeah so there is there's that I'm sure that'll come up and and uh, um, but yeah like also apologize I forgot the, the our recorder and then Billy and I couldn't get our old recorder working, so we're using a phone, so apologize for the quality. <laughs>
1: um, and, uh, and so we're gonna have a, this is gonna be a slightly different kind of episode. Um, last time we were talking, doing the kind of thing we often do, which is we get an expert on something, urban wildlife. Uh, in that case, it was, a, it was someone who came to us with a great idea to talk about urban adapting juncos, which are a small uh, songbird in, in Los Angeles. And that was sort of like, a, you know, how we, we like to introduce people to urban wildlife phenomena from around the world. Um, but in this case, this is more of, I don't know, call it a philosophical kind of discussion, where I'll do a little intro into my background to make this make sense maybe. But I, uh, I, I, I the background is that I have been a vegetarian since I was 18 um, and leaning ever more vegan probably since then, and the reason for this is pretty basic. I think when I was when I was a teenager, um, I sort of got to thinking about, like, well, how much do I really want to kill this thing to eat it? And I just came up with my own form of, if you're looking up different philosophies, what's a utilitarian philosophical perspective on this, which is, I just said, I don't think that the pleasure I get from eating something that was, comes from a dead animal versus eating something that doesn't. Um, I don't think that pleasure is enough to counterbalance the 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 you know the, from the animal's perspective, it's death, and so I, that was sort of my gateway to stop eating things that came from dead animals, and then uh, and then over time, you know, I sort of realized that the systems that produce eggs and and milk are, are very closely intertwined with the systems that. Produced at animals, so so like if you're drinking milk, that meant that you know there's a there's a maybe a male calf in the system that got turned into veal because of the to, to be able to produce the milk, and that when they get to the end of their lives, the the cows get turned into McDonald's hamburgers, and um, and so I said okay, I'm sort of drifting away from that, and also there's the environmental considerations that generally speaking, eating lower almost all the time, eating plant-based foods has a lower footprint than in our agricultural system eating animal-based foods. And I'm not going to get into the whole long reasons for that. I actually had a, a project for years from like 2007 to 2012 called the PB&J campaign where I was trying to encourage people to to focus on the meal rather than just going like vegetarian or something like that. Just focus on the meal and, and eat something lower on the food chain. Um, so I come into this discussion that we're about to have with like, with most of my life, I'm 44 now, so most of my life having not eaten dead animals and not and avoided killing them whenever I really can. So, like, I'm someone who keeps, I still have one pet snake, but my thing, if you knew me, like, growing up, I was the kid with the snakes. And so that, of course, involves killing lots of animals to feed to the animals that I kept as pets. Um, and so I actually have a lot of, exp- more experience than most people in killing lots of things with my hands, which is kind of an awful thing to say. But um, these days, you know, I buy my mice frozen um, and defrost them. But even there, you know, I'm, I'm still involved. I want to be clear I'm involved with killing things to support a lifestyle choice, essentially, you know, to, to feed a snake. Um, Tony, you make the great point sometimes that when that we shouldn't pat people on the back too much. And you talk about with cats, you know, for, for doing a great thing for
0: animals I'm using air quotes there because, as you say, usually, yeah, yeah you grind up. You pay someone to grind up animals and feed them to this one. You, so you've chosen to f- to save one animal. You you rescued quote unquote one animal, but to keep that alive, you're killing all these other animals.
1: Yeah, that's true for my rescued rat snake, as it is for a cat. Um, and it's uh, and so I, I, I don't I want to come into this discussion saying that like I've that this that 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 I've already make decisions to kill things for for various reasons, you know. When I have, we have a mouse infestation in our kitchen, like, yeah, I do what we can to close up the food containers and stuff so the mice don't have as much food, but I also put out traps and we kill the mice. Um, I know that also if I did a have-a-heart thing, the thing would just die slowly somewhere else. Um, and so, uh, but this goes back to actually a conversation I was having with the guy we had on the podcast maybe a couple years ago, Brad Gates. Yeah, um, my
0: neighbor. Tony's neighbor. I've literally seen him in his driveway practicing Hi. shooting. And also, also like, he invited me his house um, a few weeks ago to see a a full size big horn sheep mount in his living room. Yeah, and he's this is Philadelphia. Like, he lives in a twin, so it's a little bit bigger than the Irish Philadelphia home, but still a very modest home by most standards. And yes. he has a you know a full size big horn sheep in his living room,
1: and and has a a, a bow and arrow range in his. In his in his driveway, Well, just
0: a, a target. I'm trying to convince my wife to let me do it in our yard. I, I think I'm on the fence. I'd come over. Yeah.
1: And so, um any case, talking to Brad, uh, we're talking about deer hunting in urban settings. And he made a comment where he said, yeah, I've done my part to, con-, and I can't remember if this was for an article I wrote or for the podcast, but he made a comment that I have done my part to control the Philly deer herd this year. I, you know, he took out, I think, seven does. In one year, and he gave away the meat mostly to people who he knew who were hard up for for money, um, and helped them with their, their food budgets essentially. And, um, you know, we're sitting here in a park, and I'll ask you, like, what is your perception of the or what's what's the deer herd situation right now in this
0: urban creek corridor park that we're sitting in? There's definitely an overpopulation, and that's even with, um, you know, a management strategy here, you know. Um, but yeah, you can.
1: You just use a euphemism right there. That means. That does that mean the park does culling?
0: Yes, okay, yeah, but there's um, you can still see like the browse line in most places, you know. So, and and I was visited, um, some colleagues working up in a um, um, a deer enclosure in another part of the park. And you know, like I got there in like early May and to see, and you know, the amount of spring ephemerals that I could see in the deer enclosure compared to outside it was, was this, you know very clear, you know, very apparent, so, you, you know, know. And
1: you, you see it when you're also just the saplings coming up. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's something that we're talking about the browse line, and this is stuff that has, like, decades of impact on a forest, where, like, yeah. if the deer are for decades eating every tree sapling before it can turn into a tree, then
0: you get this weird, like, age class, like, pause in your tree canopy, yeah. you know? They don't have, you know, it's just clear, it's very obvious, like, the problem. They don't have... Um, they don't coexist with predators like they used to, you know, um, and they have sources of food outside of the, of the forest, um, that they can exploit to increase their population, but then they still exert more pressure on the forest than can handle, you know, right. So they can supplement their, you know, even if they get a pop, you know, even if they've, you know, made the forest, um, like, they don't die, they don't die from starvation in the forest because then they can leave the forest to eat else people's lawns, and, right? And cemeteries and things like that, and you know, highway medians.
1: Or they can sit here, I'm looking at mowed grass, yeah, between us and the creek, and and there they've got, I don't know, however many they've clover, they've got, yeah,
0: um, all kinds of juicy, leafy forbs that white tailed deer like to munch on, and then they can, you know, um, and then they can still hammer the, you know, and they don't just like, eat the saplings, they also, the bucks will rub them raw yeah. for their velvet, um, getting rid of their velvet in the fall, so, you know, it's, um, we have a similar problem with beaver because uh, they're coming back, but the forests aren't, you know, it, they have plenty of aquatic habitat, but the forests are, are narrow, and so they chew the, the plantings to nubs. you know, it's a um, it's the kind of thing where you have, like, two habitats, right, you have, like, the forest, and then you have, like, the manicured areas in the lawns and whatnot that, so the deer just expand the same with the beavers. They have the, the aquatic system, but then they have this too narrow a forest. So it's, it's it just, you know, it's as you have to make management decisions um, that involve the lives of animals. In case of the beaver, they were relocated, but the deer, where, where are you going to relocate the, the deer to? You know, like there's just nowhere.
1: Everywhere's already full of deer. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, and it, it gets more challenging as you get further out, even further out of the city Um, where you've got, like, if you're driving around, let's say central New Jersey, um, or you're driving around like the, just the the, 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 the more suburban suburbs of Philadelphia, like you can, if you're near a green space, you go out at night, you just see like her almost herds of deer, well, they are herds of deer, herds of deer, like browsing. Um, and so the, so then I got to thinking like, well, should I start hunting? Um, and then. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, this is what's... It's promoted... And it's prompted, like, this, this multi-month, like... Like, combination of, of... With me, like, I start obsessing about some topic and I research the hell out of it. Um, so there's that part of it. And then there's sort of the, the question of, like... This is, a, this is like a, a collision between two... Like, almost two ethical systems... Like it's the and and I, you know the the question of do we d- does my personal decision not to kill things like h- how would that conflict with my very strong personal chosen path of trying to promote good decisions for for hab- habitats around where I live I mean I'll go out there and I'll I'll you know I'll I'll trim bittersweet and cut down. You know tree heaven I'll do all kinds of like you know we'll called? call it management practices for for plants you know um, should I do something similar for deer or does you know how does that mesh with other ways
0: of chosen to live my life I'd like to look at the numbers, but i I would imagine that taking out a deer would would,
1: would has negligible impact
0: no no no, no, oh. no, I would say taking out one deer is probably. Better for the forest, and you know, however many hours of oh yeah, yeah of yeah. pulling invasives you can do in a year, you know, because the deer are also involved with promoting the invasives by eating everything else. Yeah,
1: and then like in, in Philadelphia, essentially because there's so many deer, um, it's complicated how the state breaks up its its jurisdictions for overseeing um, wildlife. But basically, like in the Philly area, there's almost no limit to the number of of does that you can kill in a in a season, except for practical limits. Yeah, you
0: have to get um, permits. You have to get a tag. Yet, you, you know, you can't just go out. within yeah, like, with it's, it's
1: like six fifty a tag. It's not that much money. Yeah, like you can you can if you can pay six bucks six dollars fifty cents over and over again, you can
0: hunt does. Yeah, and but like keep in mind, to like, There's not as many places to hunt, and that is like <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in the surrounding counties, um there's more places to hunt and then you go further than that there's an extreme amount of areas to hunt so like if you want to get a doe tag um generally what you do is you apply for it uh, for a few different counties and hopefully you get one of them but it's very easy to get the doe tags for the counties around philly and especially in philly because there's you're not enough places to hunt so therefore not enough hunting to actually um, use up the amount of doe tags allotted you know yeah
1: and so it's so yeah. So that's a whole practical challenge. Is in Philadelphia you have to find private land where you would be permitted to hunt. Yeah. And then there are also restrictions where you have to hunt at least. I think I forget with bows, and... Because also you can't use a gun in Philadelphia.
0: there um, you can, in certain places. In Philadelphia, mm-hmm. where? Um, I believe you can on private land. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I will. I'll respectfully say that I think when I last read the digest the last time, it's only
0: bow hunting, but, but it's a hard thing to do. It's, 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 I, I think it. I think it's set. It's almost, the laws are such the, the distance that it's pretty much impossible. Right. That's what we're getting at. There's a safety zone. Yeah. But like, um, um, there's duck hunters that hunt ducks with shotguns in Philly limits. And and I asked the game warden about it and I thought I thought I thought that was illegal. He's like, No, the law <laughs> the law says you can't illegally discharge a firearm in Philadelphia but there I think I think there's Wow. Like yeah, there's guys that hunt like ducks on the Delaware River legally in Philadelphia. Oh. So I think there's there is you know but you can't there's no um I don't think there's a place where you could shoot a
1: I gotta meet some of those guys. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, so the so yeah, I'm trying to decide what to do. Um I, you know, my wife, Gigi, has said, like, yeah, if you want to do it, go ahead. She's, she is someone who is, I would say, is not strictly vegetarian, sort of vegetarian leaning on her own and vegetarian friendly. So that as a family, we eat vegetarian, but like, um, and doesn't like red meat. So she probably wouldn't eat venison if I shot a deer, but wouldn't have any like ethical problem with it. And then the challenge is my daughter. Um, who's nine and you know I've raised her with this way of looking at the world and looking at how we relate to animals Um, and nine year olds don't always have flexible moral systems (laughs) (laughs) and she she more than others and I don't want to like bully her through this you know so that's like a whole other question um, that's mine mine to deal with as a family Um...
0: you got me hungry man I love venison
1: see i i I, this is the harder thing i was talking to another friend of mine about this and that i would have an easier time killing deer than eating them Mm. it's like the that's the again like i don't enjoy killing animals but like when you raise when you keep snakes for most of your life like it's something that you just do and you um and it's
0: it's not an alien activity whereas like I don't know how what what I would like. You know, I've never killed a deer, right? I've killed pheasants and, and plenty of fish, but I've never actually killed a deer. I just say yeah, I've killed
1: fish. That I've, was when I was a kid. You know, I've had
0: a, you know, the last time I went hunting, I had a, I only had a buck. I only you know, you get your one antler tag. Conceptually, sometimes females have antlers. Very rarely, but they do. Huh. Um, it's like you know, hormonal thing or whatever. You know, the, it, for the evidence that when like idiots say that, you know, sex is binary. Um, oh yeah. yeah. You're, so you're like, uh, not really, because female, some female deer have antlers. Like it's, there's like a whole... <laughs> there's a, there is absolutely a spectrum, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, so, um, but you have to, um, I believe it's three tines on on one side. Yeah. Right? And so this deer, because they want you to
1: kill, they don't want you to they want to let the deer, the the bucks grow big enough to have big racks before they get
0: killed. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I am. Uh, was in my stand and a buck walked out and... And this is way upstate. This is like... In, yeah. yeah, Up in the Poconos. And a really cool spot, this like dogwood like swamp. Um, so if you get a deer often, you have to wear like, you know, waders to go get it. You know, because it's pretty nasty. Uh, but anyway, um, its antlers are very tall. So it just... Usually when antlers are that tall, they, all, they, they will have three tines. So I saw it, and it was a perfect shot, and I got my, you know, lifted my rifle, and I was, just, to myself, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm actually, there's no way I would have missed. I was like, I can't believe I'm actually going to kill a deer right now. And then I put my, you know, my scope on it and, and counted the tines, and it was only two on its <laughs> side, and I didn't, I didn't pull the, you know, obviously I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger, and I was like, I was like, wow, like. It was just this a weird thought like man this is actually gonna happen i'm actually about to kill a deer yeah but i i, I don't go frequently enough like i'm hoping to go with brad or other people this year i should uh, apply for my tags soon um it, it's just a you know i have a kid and i i like bird watching i like other activities and it just you know um it's the only time for so much yeah yeah but i mean i do but i've you know Growing up hunting with my dad and, you know, what my dad would get, you know, he usually got a deer a year, and then what his friends would share, um, you know, I've had venison probably more years of my life than not, you know? Um, Especially as a kid, and uh, it's delicious. It really is, and um, it has a, I don't know if they call it a gamey taste. There is a a taste to it that I really enjoy, and, uh, um, you know, even if you make, like, you know, lentil soup or something, uh, you know, with the ground beef or whatever, or sausage, it's just it. it really lends a wonderful flavor to it, and it's, you know, it's very enjoyable. And I, you know, I, I hope to get you know, I hope to get back into it, get some. It's just again, it's just more of a time issue than anything else.
1: So you don't, but you've you've hunted pheasants, but not um, not waterfowl.
0: No, I I have an issue. Here's my thing: is is a uh, is like a pheasant is roughly chicken sized. I mean, chicken yeah. is basically a type of pheasant. Yeah. Right. Galliforms. Yeah, and um, um, so you know, you get a few meals out of um, a pheasant and like um um and geese here's my I- issue with geese is that you get plenty of meals out of a goose but yeah i know that sounds horrible the anthropomorphize, but they mate for life so the idea that like i would shoot someone's You're mate widowing a, yeah you a know goose. or, or yeah. i it just seemed so cruel and i really like geese and then ducks like i Go out and I enjoy looking at, um, I enjoy looking at ducks. And so the idea of killing a duck and you don't get out, unless you shoot like a mallard, which is so we're kind of biased in our um, views because the most common duck is a mallard and they're they're huge, they're an enormous duck. Most ducks are not even half. You made the away. same comment about geese too. Canada geese are like an especially big goose. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a snow goose is still a big bird. Don't get me wrong, but like. But a giant Canada
1: goose, which is the species subspecies we have resident around yeah, here.
0: They're immense, like, yeah, they're immense. You know, um, which is crazy. We think about swans that are even bigger. Um, but like.
1: No, that's something. I would shoot the hell out of a mute swan in a heartbeat. <laughs> so mute swans are European or Eurasian that are introduced and
0: tear up marshes in the Mid Atlantic. And they um, they're so territorial that they'll prevent other waterfowl from nesting. Yeah. I found that out when in Alaska when I was. Uh, Searching for duck nests, and we found this juicy-looking bog, and we figured it would be a treasure trove. And there was a trumpeter swan pair there, and there was no other duck nests. There's no duck uh. nest in the whole whole bog. I think we found one shovel nest. That was it. And like it would have, you know, we got dropped off in the boat, and you know, and can't really get too far, as you can imagine. You can't like like basically the the area that we could search in the time we had allotted by foot to get to was barren of 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 any other waterfowl because the swans are so territorial. Huh. So, you know, mute swans are, uh, most of our swans, you know, they breed, you know, the tundra swans and the and the uh, um, trumpeter swans, they breed in immense areas of wilderness where there's plenty of other places for the waterfowl to nest, you know, we're out of the range of these aggressive swans. But, um, in, um, in, when a mute swans are feral, then the small wetlands that we have left, you know, they can completely, you know, chase out all the native, all you know, and really, and,
1: and really rip up a whole lot of vegetation while they're at it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's in a way that would be the easiest place to start. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't know if it's legal. Uh, I don't it, know what the. It's swans. legal. So it, I've re- again, this is stuff I research. I've been, I happened to be researching a lot lately. So the um, in New Jersey, it's not you can't shoot swans in New Jersey. Um, in Delaware, I think you can shoot them during regular waterfowl season. Mute, mute swans. Mute swans. Okay. And then in PA. There's even like when you look at the hunting digest, there's a special like little insert square in the, on the page where it's like, like they, they say mute swans are not native, and you can, you can hunt them, like you can shoot them. Um, and so I, I to, I'm curious to talk to the game board, and we know who we're buddies with to yeah. see what, whether that means like that's only within waterfowl seasons, or like you yeah. can go out tomorrow during the middle of the summer and shoot some mute swans. But again, access is, is again. Big, yeah, big challenge. It's like I can think of a ton of mute swans that are in city parks where you're not allowed to shoot anything. Well, that's
0: the problem, right? We're like, again, back to the deer, we're like, where you have access to hunt something is often the place where you need it the least, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it's big area enough to hunt, you know? So yeah, like, yeah. You know, um, so an area, a big marsh, you know, where you could have enough to safe, safely hunt, like you, you might not, you know, if there are mute swans there, that might not really be affecting. Things too much because there's big enough area. Yeah. So, um, but I, back to what I would hunt and whatnot. Um, so, ducks, I just find it because you know, you tend to just breast them in any way, and anyway, there's not much other meat other than the breasts. And you know, you might not even get a whole meal, you know, out of. Yeah, out you shoot of one, a teal, it doesn't amount to very much. No. And yeah. in, in most ducks, you know, are that. And, and so it just kind of seems. Uh, but the thing is with ducks is like, because, I think because of the uh, mor- mortality on the breeding grounds, there's actually. Way more males than females, so you can probably shoot as many male ducks as you want, and you're really not going to affect the population.
1: So then, is there? Do you think there's a conservation logic for shooting Canada ge- resident Canada geese? Do they? I mean, I know they're a pain in the ass for people, but are they a pain in the ass in manicured areas? Or are they also? Because I know that when people plant like wetland plantings, you got to really like sh- shield them
0: from geese ripping them out. Like, are I, they? I would. You know, I would think so, because they also. Um, I mean, it's hard to find an area where the. Think about a Canada goose, right there. They're feeding in manicured areas, but they're spending the night on water somewhere, right? So even if they're, you know, they're so they and they defecate all this, vet, you know. The, the, I, I think I'm messing
1: that. with the nutrient balance in the waterways, and
0: they make and they make waterways eutrophic. You know these ponds and stuff. And I heard that like, um, I don't know if it's true. I heard that like a Canada goose can poop as much as a human in a day, and a bird that weighs you know ten pounds, fifteen pounds. Because they're just, you know, the, there's so little nutrients in grass that they gotta eat so much of it that goes through, you know? And, uh, yeah. So I don't know if that's true, but, you know, I mean, if you ever go anywhere, there's lots of geese, there's lots of geese poop. Um, that's for sure. I told you about the time I, one of the funniest things I've ever done, I was riding my bike. I'm saying something. <laughs> I was riding my bike by the art museum on the, yeah. on the path, and which is known for having these crazy numbers of geese. Yeah. And there was a, uh, um, these joggers were, like, um, this couple was, like, stopped because there was a very aggressive hissing goose. Oh, yeah. and, And I was just riding my bike, and as I, like, rode around this goose I just went what up (laughs) Gios?" and like and like this couple just lost their minds I don't think I've ever gotten it. like a I think they're just like so tense not knowing what to do with this goose and this knucklehead just like bombs past (laughs) them on a bike and just says what up Gios?" and they just lost it it was it was so funny that's up there with you touching the woodchuck Oh Um,
1: which is a story you have to listen to previous episodes to hear but um, but in any case uh, yeah
0: so I, I don't well I just real quick I just want to finish what I would shoot yeah yeah and I, and I don't know how, how to get into it but I would shoot the hell out of a turkey really um, a, they're not a
1: they're not a well you could again you and I are facing this from different directions like I would say like I to get over my like the reason that I don't kill things I sort of need a conservation logic to right. do it okay
0: I don't necessarily but right, like but, but go ahead. Uh, but I, uh, uh, but I certainly feel bad about certain things, and I wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't have never. I know that like coyotes can be overpopulated, but I've never shoot a coyote, even though there might be logic for it. There's certain things that like I wouldn't do because of like you know, you know, they'd say they're it, like,
1: awesome animals.
0: Yeah, like With if gorillas were no a gobbler, were over, you know. if gorillas were overpopulated, I still wouldn't shoot a gorilla or yeah. whales because I kind of feel like they're, you know. So it, it is completely, you know, I'm making these weird judgment calls, but like I don't, you know, like I. And also, like you know, when you shoot a big, an animal where there's like a dominant male is, you get the other males get to get laid that year. So like you get to, you get to, un, you get to <laughs> you're stop you're helping some, a gobbler out. Yeah, you get to stop some <laughs> cock blocking. You get a little Jake, you know, gets some that year. You know, but yeah, but yeah, but I totally get the motivation to want to hunt. Um, you know, via like, you know, I don't think I don't know about you, but like I was, you know, when I was, when I spent like almost twenty years being vegetarian or vegan and you I straight edge or, or yeah. damn um I mean strange was because I didn't want to be a junkie I didn't realize that you could do it in moderation like, when <laughs> I got into <laughs> punk in, in my teens people only a few years younger than me were were just like um they look like zombies so I didn't really see um I was straight edge pretty, not because like I heard you know you said today and girl it was like I'm gonna be a straight edge it was more like I was like <laughs> I like I listened to like you know conflict and exploited and crass and all those bands and and the other people who like that stuff would look like you know they're like 27 and look like they were living dead so i was like okay i don't want to be this So that's why i was straight and then i know the whole vegan straight edge scene but i wasn't really part of that because i liked a different kind of punk that was that was what watch a lot of vegans in that scene but not a straight edge but i um it was, someone made the point it takes 10 pounds of grain and a one pound of beef whatever and I so I, I wanted to do it It wasn't so much for environmental uh, for animal rights reasons as it was environmental but you know when I started working at field work and you know and having enough money to buy meat at Whole Foods whatever yeah I will eat you know a cheesesteak maybe once a month you know and I don't I don't know where that meat you know obviously the meat didn't come from the greatest source
1: it's not that often
0: yeah but like I uh, um you know I mostly eat you know like f- good quality meat from Whole Foods or whatever, right? And I still eat a whole lot of vegetables and whatnot. Um, but I, um, I get the motive, you know, the motive, the ve- you know, the var- but when you hunt, the environmental reasons to, n- to not eat meat go away.
1: Yeah, and that's a funny thing. It's like a because you're even in a, and this is something that I, I tiptoe into cautiously because it's a line that I think unfairly is used to beat up vegetarians. Where like, the that that no matter how you're farming, you're killing stuff. You're killing animals, is at at least by accident. And I I mean, my and people will say it's like, oh, see, there's like, it's, there's no point of being vegetarian. And I think no. I think even if you're eating vegetarian, you're you're shrinking your footprint to a point relative to to eating uh, farmed meat that you're still minimizing your impact in terms of dead animals. But like, if what you're doing is if the choice is between like i don't know like a hundred pound dough 120 pound dough that um that you, you don't have to farm anything for 30 you know?
0: 40 f- pounds of meat out of it you know yeah
1: and then that's then it's that is all farmed land foregone right and it's like uh and it's in a way you're supporting the kind of land i'd rather have <laughs> which yeah. is forested land versus or like meadowland or whatever yeah. marshland versus like you know where i grew up which was i grew up in central ohio where like you get outside of columbus and it's like nothing but corn and soy fields it is yeah. in it, it is green but in a real sense it is an incredibly barren landscape um and yeah i don't know it's it's this is the stuff that i'm wrestling with and i and I, we should touch on at least something that i know will that if people are going to send us comments it would be about this which is that there are people th- there are non lethal control methods for a lot of the stuff that we're talking about People talk about, like, you know, putting, um, like, uh, killing the eggs of Canada geese so they don't reproduce as successfully or trying to use birth control on deer. My understanding of it, from what I've, when I've looked into this and talked to people who do the, the management of land and parks, my understanding of it is, is that you, that they're incredibly difficult and expensive to get to work and might only work under limited circumstances where you can really control
0: the the inflow and outflow of animals. Yeah, we, we, um, you've heard us beat the drum about TNR, you know, the the trap neuter, release fallacy. And, like, it's just generally these non-lethal methods, you know, just don't work. And they don't, and they require, that's one thing, even if they do want, you know, the, or. It takes an incredible amount of effort. Yeah, like the, it just doesn't, you know, and I'm sorry, but like, all of us shouldn't be like putting out, like, I mean, I, I mean, I, how do you know that you're only getting deer? What are you gonna do? Like, you know, like, like, dart them? And like, or like, you put out like bait, but how do you not sterilize, you know, raccoons and foxes and everything? Like, well,
1: and also just that, that in the go back to TNR, which is essentially what we're talking about, like you know, birth control is a population control method. Is that like when you look at TNR, like you've got to get, but like that you have to have a really relatively high rate of hitting the animals to have an impact on the population size, and so like you would have to like TNR, it's like 75 90 percent of yeah cat female cats that you have to have you have to have neutered, and then you know that it, it, if you're looking at that kind of those kind of rates on something like deer maybe not quite as fecund as cats but like you have to get a huge portion of the population and um and it's it is a lot more expensive than if you can get people to go ahead and shoot them with guns or bows and arrows to eat them um and when you're looking at the limited resources that public agencies have to do land management um that matters
0: and i was listening to something um related um you know, my friends, um, Kate and Tom, who li- used to live in Montana and live in, in Colorado, they gave a, you know, a net, sorry, live in Portland, did I say Colorado. Um, anyway, they, they, they told me that they loved our podcast because it was like one of the only wildlife podcasts out there. And then, of course, you know, after the, <laughs> there are more now since the pandemic, but they said that, <laughs> They all you know, suck. They, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's some really good ones. Yes, out there. obviously. Yeah. And I did the crossover one with one recently, Naturally Ventures, which is my favorite podcast that we don't do. Um but anyway, so they were telling me that they love, they like, they would listen to the Meat Eater podcast by Steve Vanella because, even though there, uh, it's a hunting podcast, you know they, they talked a lot about other things. And I listen, and I, I subscribe to. It. I don't listen to it always, but it's quite good. I, and he, um, and I listened to an episode about um, the red wolf, and they were talking about you know, and so they had to like, so they, they reintroduced into this area of North Carolina, yeah, um, on that peninsula with the Almar. I forget the something with like A peninsula and the reason why they, were, they chose it was the coyotes weren't there yet but then the coyotes started getting closer and so that what they do is they would on the edges of the habitat on the edges of the wolf range they would sterilize coyotes and like um, basically the whole thing the, you know the tra- whole thing about trap that releases, the ca- cats are there but you know even though you don't you know, uh, and they pre- you know, hear cat people say well it's a, the the um, Vacuum effect—if you remove the cats entirely, more will come in, and 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 so—and this is the thing what they're saying was like Which is you, a fallacy in urban settings, because
1: what's really pulling them in is the fact that you're putting food out for
0: them. Because, right, but they're yeah. saying that with the—in this case—was that the, uh, um, this is where it actually might apply, <laughs> but it didn't, still didn't work. And for a while, it did, um, but they just could not—they could not maintain the sterilization rates, as they're saying. You know, like even though it did like um keep it did hold these coyote populations at bay for a while um and the sterile like they just couldn't keep you know eventually those coyotes will die and they'll have to sterilize more of them because otherwise will come in so they just had to keep it up and like you know and this is one area with the federal government behind them and they couldn't do it you know and also that you know um they just couldn't so that and that's well because the concern is that the coyotes would breed with the red wolves and
1: dilute the population
0: yeah, or dilute the so you sort of lose. Yeah, and the thing is, is if there's enough red wolves, um, they they're not you know they uh, keep oh. the coyotes out, but if, once you once you lower the numbers enough, they'll they'll uh, uh. they'll start breeding, right? And then the other problem is people started killing them, um, and so they were holding on for a while. They started to flourish, but then the people started killing them. The numbers dropped, and they also couldn't keep the, the coyotes out. You know, well, that's a sad and situation. Start breeding, you know? Well. But this All is the right. thing, it's like, the point is, is that star, the sterilization is extremely difficult. It requires an insane amount of manpower to do. And like, um, and so it just, you know, it just really doesn't work. And, and like, um, you know, in this case, you're like, well, you know, why don't they just kill the coyotes? I, I think it, again, there's just so many of them when you have an entire continent, you know, full coyotes wanting to move into this peninsula, you know, like you can't kill enough either. And you know. I've been there.
1: I mean I I have I've gone herping in that, that part of North Carolina. It is not easy terrain to get through. It yeah. is it is like it's a ton of marsh. Um, in the
0: Pocosins, which is Pocosin,
1: like, yes. It's like the special kind of soggy flo- like soggy, flooded meadowy heath kinda Well habitat. It's, it's super
0: yeah. thick I would think of a Pocosan as a super thick Forest of like cypress and sweet gum and like cat briar and stuff where it's just like this wall of vegetation It, it is it, you
1: can't get through it. Yeah,
0: it's like Sweet's yeah. warbler factory But you can never see them. I've only heard them because because they're, they're uh It's so thick
1: there's these they, down there's these lovely um, Pygmy rattlesnakes that come in this like kind of pink color
0: that and, people
1: go yeah. that find. Yeah
0: Hyde County Yeah, Hyde and dare County. It's a legendary spot. Yeah. I love North Carolina. I'd move there in a heartbeat um, but in any case um, we're gonna wrap up. I think we uh,
1: this has not come to any conclusions. <laughs> I, I I'll I'll cite just to close like my favorite scene in the movie um, Old School. Do you remember that movie? Oh, so good. And it's uh, a Blue. <laughs> so my favorite scene in the movie is Vince Vaughn. They're having this. It's it's a dumb it's a dumb movie um, with some funny which which can be funny, but it's like the idea is that there's these guys who are kind of like. One of them's going back to college, and they decide to set up a fraternity, even though they're all way older than the college students. And so, there's a scene where Vince Vaughn's character is like ends up in like a bedroom at the fraternity with this girl, and like, and all of a sudden, like he just stops and he's like, "I can't. I'm married." And like, <laughs> it's like what? And then she looks at him, like what? And he's like, I-, "I can't. I can't." And then, um, and it for me it was like funny, and it, it sort of stands in for all these times in your life when you're like. Like, you think you might do something that's outside of your, your your patterns or, like, the way you've chosen to live your life. Like, could you actually do it if you got to that point? You know, would I be like Tony in a blind or, like, up in a tree with, like, a crossbow in my hand looking at a doe in some corner of Philadelphia and just not be able to pull the trigger? Yeah. Um, or the same thing with, like, you know, Canada geese landing in some decoys. But, or um, do I even get to that point? my daughter put up a strong enough fight that I don't even, that I decide it's not worth pushing? Um, But we'll find out. So uh, yeah, we'll see if I can drum up some more discussions about urban hunting. Because I I find it fascinating for so many reasons. It's sort of like about how we interact with wildlife in urban settings. Um, So yeah, I think uh, if you like this episode, please like us on your podcast listening app of choice. Uh, please share it with your friends and tell everybody about it. You can find us on email at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Um, if you have ideas for other episodes, please let us know. We'd love to to get ideas sourced that way and hear from you about either research you're doing or wildlife topics that you know a lot about wherever you live uh, in urban settings. Um, and of course, listen to all the Wildlife Observer Network podcasts. we got a bunch of
0: them. Um, Tony, anything you want to wrap up with? Buddy. Just now I hope you're all vaccinated and hope you're enjoying nature safely. And we'll see you soon.
1: And or wear pants area. if you're in a tick area. Don't brawl because...
0: dog the woods.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be Tony's new song. Stay yeah. tuned. Alright, take care.